Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. If you would, join me in Proverbs chapter 1. Last couple of weeks, we've been processing the construction that God is doing in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And it's, it's interesting that the construction that God does is, uh, is changing the way we think, changing the way we feel, changing the way we move. Uh, and yet, in each case, he gives us the responsibility to guard our, our hearts, to transform our minds. And so the work that God does, he does in partnership with us through his, his word and his commandments. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about something just a little bit different. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, When we come to know Jesus and we are in a, 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 a relationship with him, everything about us becomes new. And so the Bible is pretty clear about the newness that we are, the newness that we are becoming, and finally, the newness that we will become. And so the Bible is about learning this new process in our life, understanding where we've come from, but certainly what God in, intends. And some of the ways that self and Satan slow our construction completion is by the lives that we believe uh, in, our, in, our, in our thoughts and uh, the things we tell ourselves, self-talk and, and self-doubt and those sorts of things. And then also the feelings that we're prone to follow that come out of our deceptive heart. And today we're going to learn a little bit or at least process a little bit about the people that we try to be like and surround ourselves with. You know, I think it's very important. And I think most of us, because of the way we think and the way we feel, we tend to kind of downplay other people's influences in the, uh, that, we are, that we are under. And so people have a great deal of influence upon us, uh, be it good or be it not so good. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, this is a pretty simple sermon. Uh, it's going to sound a whole lot more like uh, maybe children's church than a worship service. Uh, but sometimes I think we need to go back to the fundamentals. It's ironic to me that the Bible is a book about God, his ways, his heart, his character, uh, our desperation for him, uh, my tendencies to avoid, to mistrust, uh, to reject him. But one of the most significant subjects in the Bible that the Bible uh, is it's impossible to miss it addresses the influence of other people on our, our lives and our role in theirs and the connection that belongs between any two people. So we know that God built us for a community with him. Community and relationships here impact community and relationships with him to a great degree. And my relationships here can also affect how closely I walk with him. Uh, my relationships here can either impede it or enhance it. But even to the church, once we know who he is and we're in a relationship with him, even to the church, God says so much to us about how we treat each other and, and what that relationship between one another looks like in relationship to him. See, one of the things that we learn is that you cannot follow God without impacting others and you cannot follow others without it impacting you. So Proverbs chapter 1, as the writer of Proverbs gets started, uh, 
in verse, I'll start in verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Now, listen, I, I, know, I don't really know who all your friends are. I really doubt any of our friends would say, come lie with us and let's wait in blood and let us ambush the innocent without reason. Now, there's an embellishment here. There's obviously an exaggeration. In verse 12, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods and fill our houses with plunder. Now, now this next is very, very important. I want you to understand the, the, uh, the, the wording here. Throw in your lot among us. We will have all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. So here's the moral of the story and kind of the summation of the matter. Such are the ways. Now again, these paints a pretty bad picture of some pretty bad friends. But such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. Now all of a sudden it becomes reasonable because we all know people who are greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So he's talking about the, the negative influence of people on people. Psalm 1 is another great illustration of this. Blessed is the man who walks not, just like the book of Proverbs, in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. It doesn't mean like blocking sinners. It means like in the pathway that they're walking. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I'm not going to do a whole lot of work unpacking this passage of Scripture, but I do want you to notice the progression of a person's life. They're walking in the counsel of someone and then walking in their path of someone and then finally resting in their presence. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yield its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff of the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we see again, and we could just about every passage of Scripture find these relational parts where we need to be incredibly careful who we influence and how and who influences us. There's a poem I came along that says, All the water in the world, however hard it tried, could never, never sink a ship unless it got inside. And all the temptations of this world might wear you pretty thin, but they won't hurt you one least bit unless you let them in. It's a, it's a, it's a constant in Scripture that we should not allow temptation to rule our life, to avoid temptation because if you surround yourself with temptation, it will win. And I want you to, I want you to hear this very, very closely. And, I'm, and maybe I'm speaking to, to graduates uh, especially today. I, I'm not sure. But it wins every time. If you surround yourself with temptation because you know you can beat it or you're going to test yourself or maybe you've overcome the temptation before. If you surround yourself with temptation, it wins eventually. It wins. 
Every time. Now, there may be a time when a temptation does not become sin. Maybe at the last moment you can bail, but I can promise you, you already went further than you should have gone. And it says a whole lot about us. One of the most common ways that temptation gets inside of us and it begins to affect the way we think and begins to affect the way we feel is who we hang out with, who we spend time with, who we're wanting to become like. It's one of the greatest ways that we can be propelled toward Christ-likeness and it's one of the greatest motivations is who we are challenged by. Who we allow to influence us. You know, and you can't talk about relationships with other people without throwing in 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's something we don't want to believe. We want to believe we're stronger than that. So what does Paul say? You're, you're living a lie if you think that you can hang out with bad and not become bad. This word deceived is the word planeo. It means to cause to wonder, to, to go astray, to, to get off course by your own choosing, to deviate from the correct path, to, to believe a lie and to trick yourself that it won't be true for you. Again, uh, this and I, you know, th- there's not a test on on Greek, okay? But it is so important. The words are so incredibly important. This is aorist active imperative. But what this ver- what this word means in its state is to make a right decision now based upon your past. It means to be influenced by where you've been so you can make a right decision now. Do not be deceived. You've been here before. Make a right decision this time. Because of faith, choose wisely. Deceivers are everywhere. They are coming from every direction. And they will try their best to make you wander off course. And sometimes the best deceivers you have are the thoughts that you think and the feelings that you feel and the things that you can convince yourself of. And what Paul is saying is don't fall for it. Make your decision based upon what you know will happen because it's happened before. Satan himself is a deceiver, an accuser. Sometimes he sets the traps and sometimes we set the traps ourselves. Now, I want you to watch this for a moment. One of the things that I feel like probably has always been true, but we've never lived in this culture before. It's probably true for every culture. But when we begin to feel uh, purposeless and we begin to... And again, I'm, I'm sure that this isn't true of any of us, but I'm going to use the word insecurity. You know, I'm, I'm sure that none of us are insecure about anything. But the problem with insecurity is it is running rampant. Everybody needs the validation from somebody else. Everybody wants to know and figure out who they are based upon what somebody else thinks about them. And it is so incredibly dangerous. It's deceiving So we are insecure, we feel poorly about ourselves, we have very low self-esteem, what do we do? We start seeking value of others. We see things in other people that we wish that we were, maybe their confidence, maybe their arrogance, maybe their pride, maybe their standing in the community, maybe their money, and what do we do? We actually forfeit who we are and try to become like the people we want to be like. And not knowing their heart and not knowing their thoughts, we become to be like people we don't even understand or know. 
And it becomes so dangerous. And for young, young kids especially, that's why it is so important for Christians to find their identity in Jesus Christ, not the people they hang out with. So important to know who we are in him. Our, our best day, our best day, and let's just say we find value in who we're around. I'm telling you that our best day will leave us deficient until we find our security in Jesus Christ and we believe his valuation of us. It's the most powerful choice we can make as Christians. It's the most powerful thing we can do is to be confident in who we are in him. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It's a very similar statement to everything else we've read. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Solomon is comparing intentional, thoughtful, knowledgeable with the haphazard, careless, and the inconsiderate. The comparison is those who live intentionally toward God and enjoy him and those who are simply enjoying themselves and taking the day as it comes and uh, trying to become more and more content with the world. So it's clear from like the book of Proverbs, Psalm 1, and from the Apostle Paul. Listen, and I'm going to make a, this is a very, I use this a lot, but it's very, very boiled down, right? Don't spend your time with people who enjoy sin. Spend your time with people who enjoy God. Because the people that you hang out with are going to influence you. And I'm sure that we know better than Scripture, or it doesn't affect us like it affects everybody else. We're exceptions to the warning. Here's another rule. You will never be an exception to the warning. And God warns us that we must be careful not to allow worldly thinking to influence our lives. Remember in Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 2, one of the complaints of the Pharisees uh, that they had about Jesus was this man receives sinners and eats with them. And, 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 and up to that moment, it's like God warns us that we must be very careful not to allow worldly thinking to influence our lives. And so if you were to just take some of these passages and say, what am I supposed to do? Then what we'd say is we need to cut off every sinner out of our life. Don't even eat with them. And yet, what's one of the first things we see Jesus do? Receiving sinners and sitting down and eating with them. It's like, wait a minute. And so the thing that we have to look at is say, what's the purpose of Jesus' relationship with them? Is the purpose to indulge them or is the purpose to see their lives transformed by what he had to offer? It's a huge difference. And, and it'd be really easy for me to judge every one of you based upon that. But I can't judge your mind and I can't judge your heart. I can't, I'm not sure I can judge mine. But I can judge the fruit that comes out of it. I can judge the fruit. And if I continue to discount the fruit, I'm only deceiving myself. And I'm telling myself things that probably is not true. Why did Jesus do that? Why did he spend time with sinners? The people that we're pointing our finger at all the time. Well, uh, I think that Luke answers it in Luke 19.10. said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
He didn't see the sinners as someone to emulate. He saw them as someone to love. When you look back at Proverbs and Psalms, the warning, the warning that is given is to be in with the sinners. Not just being with them, but to be in with them. To be accounted in their number. When they looked at Jesus, they didn't say, oh, Jesus is just a sinner too. No, he's receiving and eating with sinners, but he's not one. It's about the intention of the relationship. It's about the the motivation for the community. It's about who is influencing who. And and we have to be so careful because it is so easy to forget the motivation and the mission of our living. We talk about it a lot around here, but the reason that we get up in the morning is to help people find and follow Jesus. That's, that's the point of living, is to help people find and follow Jesus. And every, every relationship then has that as a mission statement, to help people find and follow Jesus. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm allowing the mission to actually be influenced negatively. And over time, to be reduced entirely. But if I can remember in every moment, my role in this moment, my role in this person's life is to bring them a little more closely to Jesus. And I can tell you, with safety, you can spend time with anybody. Anybody. So you ask yourself, who is the group that I'm with becoming like? Who are my friends becoming like? Who are my relationships becoming like? Are we becoming more like Jesus or am I becoming more like them? Well, how do you, and how do you evaluate the fruit? So I'm going to throw a little psychology at you. Um, I find this kind of stuff intri- intriguing and, and interesting and um, can't, can't prove it one way or the other. Um, but... That's not really my role to do that. But experts will tell you that there is a rule that can almost always be followed. I will say almost because I don't want to speak with certainty. That the sum of any one person, relationally, the sum of any one person is uh, a, a, I'm trying to think of how, how to say this, uh, a composite of their five closest friends. That every person is the composite of their five closest relationships. Kind of interesting. Now part of that may be because I'm attracted to people who think like me already. But part of it is that whoever we spend our time around is who we become like. We actually change our worldview by who we spend time with. It's dangerous and incredibly beneficial. The determination is who are those people in your life? If the five people that you spend most time with are of a, of a certain general income level, you know what? The funny thing is, is you get pushed toward earning more money. Uh, look, finding a better job. If the people that you're with earn less, you typically get satisfied pretty easily with where you are and you don't have as much of a drive. Our friends are chronically spending more than they earn. Chances are you're going to begin to struggle with debt. Now, that's true of, of grades too. You know, I mean, whoever your friends are spending time with, it's like, well, that's their friends. They don't make, they don't make great decisions. Well, you maybe need to maybe look at your friend group, change your friend group. 
I mean, that's just good advice, right? If we become like who we're around, I don't want my kids hanging around kids who get Fs, and that's okay. I want them to be around kids that have a four-point grade average. I want it the best odds possible. I want to be pushed in the right directions. If you've got friends that are health conscious, you're probably going to develop a conscience for health habits. If you have friends that are, you know, have a similar depth of spirituality, chances are you're going to develop their study habits. So what can you do if, if the people that you are with, and again, there's something to be said about the people we are attracted to, right? If everyone around you is a negative influence, chances are you're a negative influence. You may not even know it. But here's the thing. How do you know if somebody's having a bad influence on you if you're satisfied with it? You know, because we already kind of proven you're going to be content with whoever you're around. So how, how can you know if it's negative? Well, here's the good news. You are not the judge of that. You don't have to judge that. You, you would be satisfied with way, way too little. God is ultimately the judge. So the proper question would be, what would God say about this friendship or friendships? Are we helping each other to find and follow Jesus or are we just bonding over mutual affections? Is the relationship producing character that is proof of Jesus' relationship to, to us? If you know the relationships aren't producing Jesus, you just stop spending time with them altogether? Maybe. But what if you can't? What if you're married to these people? What if they're your roommates? What if they're your, you know, having to live in a dorm with people? Or what if, you're, what if these people are the people that you're having to work with every day? You don't get to just cut people out of your life. You have to learn how to deal with relationships and friendships. You have to, you have to learn to be intentional and decide to lead them more deeply into Christ. And you say, well, I don't have that kind of relationship with them. Well, fine, I get that. So what we need to do is we need to pray more intently about that relationship. And I'm telling you, the people you pray for, you hope you have a heart for. Be more intentional about what you speak and how you speak it, what you do with them. You can choose to associate with people who we see have a good influence on us. Find, find godly people. Find groups of godly people and choose to be around them more and more. And by the way, the law of fives, you know, you're, you become like five people, the five people that are closest to you. That's true of the Lord too. It's true of him. He can be one of the five. If you're more and more close to him, you'll look more and more like him and think more and more like him and feel more and more like him. One of the easiest things to do is to spend time in the word of God and to pray based upon the word of God, not our selfishness. I mean, that's exactly what those in Psalm 1 are saying in the, in the Old Testament. when are talking about the law. That's talking about the scriptures. So just imagine how you could use the average of the five if one of those five was God himself. 
All right, let's go back to Paul again. He said it this way. We talked about it last week. Do not be conformed by the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Don't go with the ways of the world. Listen, this is a great litmus test of what we are becoming. Does the way I think, the way I feel, quit lying to yourselves about it. The product that my life is producing, the fruit that my life is producing, is it looking more and more like Jesus or does it look more and more like the world? If it doesn't look more and more like the world, then you need to recalculate in your mind and determine to be to be the, uh, the recognition of Christ in every relationship that you're in and lift it up. Lift the relationship up. If it's at home, if it's at work, if it's your friend group, whatever it may be, lift it up so that the rest of the group can benefit from you. All right, so back to Jesus. You know, the Bible never says not to be around ungodly people, only to be careful when you are. Jesus was around a lot of them, but Jesus was aware of his ministry to them. He was, he was actually on a mission to seek them out, not to enjoy community in the flesh, commonalities of the flesh, but to influence them unto godliness. That was Jesus' responsibility to them, to help them in their brokenness, to speak life into their death, to bring the kingdom of God into their midst so that they could see it clearly. So is this what God wants us to do? Well, he put Christ in us so that we could do that. Does God want us to to seek and to save the lost? Of course he does. Does that mean like Jesus, we need to spend time with sinners? You betcha. If Christians aren't spending time with sinners, then we have negated the transformation of the gospel in the lives of those around us. But we need to recognize the nature of the relationships. It doesn't mean that we have to become best friends, but we should be reaching into a lost world and making friends with sinners so they can see the kingdom of Christ in us. The problem is, is that we become friends with the world, the kingdom of Christ begins to be nullified in our life. Did you know, on average, that by the time a person is saved, within eight years, they no longer have unsaved friends? So I want you just to think. I don't want anybody to comment or raise your hand or anything. I want you to ask yourself, how many unsaved people, not do I know, am I friends with? How many unsaved people, lost people, are friends? And I would say for most of us, we'd have to think a while to even think of someone, and you certainly have to think beyond the five, probably much, much longer than that. Because once we're a Christian, what do we start doing? The opposite of what Jesus does, we start purging sinners out of our life and pointing fingers and pushing them further and further away. And what God has called us to do is to seek and to save those that are lost, to actually seek them out and to learn. And listen, I'm telling you, if the church is going to exist, we have got to learn how to invest our life, how to love sinners, how to love them so that they feel loved, how to value them so they feel valued. So they can begin to see their identity in Christ instead of with the traps of the world. This is, this is no time to avoid sinners for the church. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here. And I uh, thought it was interesting. I did this Wednesday night in, uh, in uh, Bible study. I'm gonna, you don't, I don't want you to answer out loud. But did you know that this is uh, of Christian teens? 
of Christian teens in America right this very moment, this stat, these stats just came out this week, 61% of Christian teens, 61% of Christian teens said that they believed that Jesus died on the cross. Okay, well, that's pretty good numbers, right? It means that 39% of Christian teens do not believe that. You know what the percentage of just teens overall are? 47% of, of teens generally believe that. I'm saying that the beliefs of Christian teens aren't that much better than unsaved, than, the church, than church. It gets worse, actually. 50% of Christian teens... Teens that would say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. 50% of them believe that Jesus rose from the dead. As opposed to 33% of teens generally. Last, last one. Do you believe that Jesus is active in the world today? Do you believe that Jesus is active in the world today? Of Christian teens, 32% said yes. These, these are the world changers. These are the ones that, that say that they understand Christianity enough to give their life for it. And when you've got 32%, 21% of unsaved kids believe that Jesus is active in the world. Listen, just because the majority believes or thinks something doesn't make it true. We have got to figure out not just how to engage the world, but the church is becoming a mission field. We're supposed to be displaying a new way to live, not going away, not, you know, making a decision and going along with the old way of living. Remember Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Listen, Jesus promised, I'm, I'm, among other reasons, I'm sure, but Jesus promised his presence because if you're going to be a Christian engaged in helping people find and follow Jesus, you're going to have to be keenly aware of his presence because you're going to get your hands dirty. If you think you're going to be a, a born-again Christian and walk through life and never have to get your hands dirty in ministry, well, you're mistaken. When Jesus hung out with sinners, their brokenness went away. Their hearts were healed. He transformed them from being conformed by them. He didn't transform uh, focus on only his own transformation. And I feel like maybe one of the greatest deficits in the church today is our focus on discipleship, strangely enough. It's like that's all we want to talk about is discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. We're not called to be disciples. We're called to make disciples. It's about relationships. It's not about being a better me or knowing more. Or I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all about discipleship because you can't, you can't make what you're not. But the end result is not a better me, a better thinking, a better heart. It's planting that in the world around us. And God gives us relationships to do that. Sometimes we just keep spinning and spinning and spinning in here with people who already agree. We've got to figure out how to make friends with sinners. That, that creates transformation in their life, not conformity. 
Think about when you're out and you're around unsaved people. How often does Jesus come up? How often does the conversation about God come up? It's, it's uh, maybe this is a little bit too preachy, but I always think about people that finally start talking about the Lord and they identify people that they're around often and then realize that they're Christians too. And it's like, hey, I found out this person I work with is a Christian. And then all of a sudden it's like this friendship with Christian people, but then to neglect of the people who aren't friends. It's like we're satisfied with finding friends that are Christians, but we're still very repulsed or maybe fearful of unsaved people. Jesus transformed the company that he kept. Jesus wasn't trying to fit in or be liked or approved or accepted. Jesus always stood out. And his holiness shined because he focused on his primary relationship, which was the Father. He, he believed about himself what the Father said about him. He felt about himself what the Father felt toward him. And if there's anything missing in the church today, it's that. Believing what God has said about us, finding our security in who he is instead of what the world thinks about us. You know, the company we keep says a lot about who we are. You can talk all day long about who you are and what you believe, but your behavior and your circle of friends begs to differ. So this morning as we close, I want you to identify the people you spend time with, work, home, family, friends. And, and what I want you to do you don't have to do it right now, but I want you just to kind of outline the people that you spend most of your time with, and I want you to write a purpose statement for why those, that particular relationship exists. Write a purpose for why you think God wants that relationship to exist. And then I want you to align your thinking to God's purpose. I'm telling you, it'll help you to be a lot more intentional about your conversations. Then I want you to think about who is lost in your circle of friends, not who claims to be Christians. Listen, there are some things you can claim to be a Christian and not be one. Listen, if you do not believe that Jesus was crucified, that he raised from the dead and that he's active today, you are not a Christian. There are certain things that are just fundamental to faith. And if you do not believe what the Bible says about Jesus, you are not a Christian. And we not, we gotta, if we care about people, we love people, we've got to stop worrying about those kinds of things and speaking Jesus into life and into friendships and relationships around us. Now, who is lost in your circle of friends? Who is being deceived right now, thinking there's something they're not? I wonder who are we seeking out because they are lost? What opportunities are we looking for so that we can speak life and implant Jesus into them? Is there anyone in your life accusing you of spending time with sinners and loving them? Are people coming out of darkness and into maturity because of your relationship to them? Be careful. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals for sure. But good company gives life too. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this morning. And as we have experienced and processed a whole lot today, I just think about how, how stable you are and how good you are and how your word never changes. 
you have called us, we know that we are influenced a great deal, but we get to control some of that. We also know that you have called us to be influencers, to be able to take the, the, the stability and the word of God and the truths that transform our lives and to be able to speak those into every relationship we have. So Lord, I just pray that you would remind us today that the work that you're doing in us is manifested a great deal by who we spend time with and who we allow to influence us. And, and even, even in a lot of ways, our friends, who we, who we respect and who we trust and who we're trying to become like has changed a great deal. But I pray that while that is true, we're still looking for opportunities to rescue more. So Lord, help us to walk in that balance of becoming and making. Help us to give you your greatest glory at all times and help us to be very intentional. I pray we would sit down and write out the reasons why certain relationships exist in our life and we will be able to see how to align our intentionality uh, with your intention uh, relationally. Maybe with a, a coworker, or maybe a neighbor or I just, I just pray, Lord, that as I, I know that the days are, are dwindling down until you're appearing, I pray that we as a church would not lose ground, but we would continue maybe, maybe even more emphatically than ever before, trying to take back time and trying to take back land that Satan is uh, deceiving, deceivingly taking away, and, and we don't even notice. So, Lord, help us to stand firmly. I guess in a word, I would just pray that you'd help us to be intentional. Help us to live beyond the deception and just to live intentionally. To make much of Jesus everywhere we go. It's the purpose of every relationship now. It's to see Jesus Christ manifested. Lord, give us a conviction about that. Help us to negate the values of the world and claim only the values of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand with me, please? One of the things that I've always learned that if you, if you delay in application, it limits, really limits its impact. So what I want us to do this morning is just really think through how, how you believe God would use you in your relationships, how you could be his ambassador in every relationship you have. And, and I want just to ask ourselves and to be honest with ourselves is who, who are we trying to be like? Who, where are we trying to fit in and Why? Is it for the good of the kingdom or for the good of myself? And we got some soul searching to do, but I, I really believe that ministry outwardly, this is the root of that. If we don't get this right, there is no ministry outside of that. So Lord, this morning, we just ask that you would, I'm, I, am, I am afraid that we're so numb to, to our own personal ministry. I pray that you would heal our paralysis. 
I pray that you would help us to, to recognize the damage of negative influence to our relationship to you and the lies that we can live under when we're not paying attention and how it is muted and diffused our ability to to influence. So Lord, I pray that as we go, you would uh, immediately give us opportunities to see and to be and to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.